Texas, it was on the 9th of June, 1862 on a summer's afternoon. I took the bus from Barbaras, she was heavy laden, and away we went along Collingwood Street that's on the road to Bladen. CHN Radio fam, what is good? It is your boy Elijah here. We got another episode of CHN Radio for you. It's been a while. Um, we we accidentally took a holiday break. It was not on purpose. Uh, we just like things happened and like laptops were broken and things like that. So it's like, all right, we're just going to start fresh 2021 new year, new CHN radio, actually the same CHN radio, except for today when it's new. And speaking of new, your boy Elijah here on the ones and twos. And I'm bringing to you guys some special guests. My good friend, Adam from the false nines. He's on online with us yes adam how are you feeling i know that you're usually on for our, our big season recaps but it's like the people are demanding more adam and zach on chn radio i don't know why but they are I, so here we i are. don't know why either elijah I, I i don't know why either but you know i'm happy to be here happy to offer my newcastle insight as always we don't get to talk about newcastle for very long on our pod so we like to get into the weeds here with you on chn radio yeah, that means this is going to be a long episode. So go ahead, uh, probably just break this one up because we're, we're doing this is the one for the week. So break it up as you may if you're listening to this. Like if you want to hear half of it today and half of it like on Friday, then by all means, there will be plenty for you to do that. It's not going to be Joe Rogan length, but it'll it'll be lengthy. And speaking of lengthy, <laughs> we've got another long-winded fr- friend of mine, also like me, very long-winded. Zach Pensack, he's on the line. Zach, what is good with you? Elijah, I'm blushing that you would uh, you would compare my long-windedness to your famed uh, dizzying, dizzying tangent. So I'm, I'm just glad to be here for a second, not second consecutive, but maybe second and third uh, coming home Newcastle episodes. Yeah, it's a good time. It, it might be consecutive. Actually, I don't know. I'd have to look, but I'm not going to look. Um Anyway, uh, so today, uh, just to give everyone the rundown, um, first and foremost, you can follow the podcast account. It is back and up and running. It went. It was down for a minute. Because Can't hold us Twitter, back. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter thought we were under the age of 13, uh, which is true. The, the podcast network is under the age of 13, but uh, the, like the people running it are well above the age of 13. Um, we're back at CHN underscore podcast, so be sure to follow us. Follow the main account at CHN underscore radio. Adam doesn't have a Twitter. Zach, where people, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, I can be found at at Z Pensack, my last name. That's Z and then P-E-N-S-A-K, tossing you all of my very, very reactionary takes on anything Newcastle United related. So give me a shout after you follow both of the, the CHN accounts. It's true. And then speaking of the other CHN account, uh, the main account at coming of NEFC is still alive and well. Um, so that's always fun. Um, I'm doing a lot of tweeting from that. Uh, mainly match day stuff. But of course, if you want to find our articles and stuff, that's where they're tweeted out from. And of course, you can always go to the main site, comminghomenewcastle.sbnation.com or just comminghomenewcastle.com. Um, but enough of that uh, stuff. We're just going to get into it. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little Lester talk about the matches that we all missed well not us but the podcast missed just a brief like okay this is what happened 
um, like has Newcastle improved, that kind of stuff. We'll do some odds and ends, uh, a little bit of news, that kind of stuff. And then we will finish it out with a little Arsenal preview because Newcastle do have a match and a quick teaser. I feel like if I, I feel like I was feeling way more confident about Arsenal like four weeks ago. And now I'm like, oh, this might be another loss. So we can mm. get into that uh, in the future. But, um, of course, we're going to start things off, as we always do, with a little bit of three words, um, which, of course, just is people bringing up the three words that they have to describe the most recent match. And this time I tweeted from the Coming Home NUFC account. So we've got a few um, notorious for now at Lost Boy uh, NUFC. 180 says clueless tactically inept um to an army denver shout out to denver it's a great city uh, they say a shit sandwich um which they then clarified by saying the first 20 minutes were decent then there was shit and then the last 20 minutes were decent so yeah actually pretty fair explanation of the lester match uh patrick sotolaro says well they tried Big Cell says Bruce Belly's bigger. Benjamin Dahlman says it wasn't boring. CDG says Dan's LaFace. I don't understand that one. Um, but that's it from the main account. And I don't think we did one. Well, we did. Yeah, we, sorry. We did do one from the podcast around. Eric Schmidt said midfield needs, needs sorted. Tom Bernard says least Andy scored. Neil said missing in action. Blake said hard to support. Derek said absent back post. So um, That's a good we'll one. start off with a little bit of lineups. And I definitely want to get everyone's initial reactions to um, the lineups. Um, it was an interesting starting 11 for Newcastle. I mean, I think I wouldn't say expected, but at, at this point, we kind of know who was available, who wasn't available, all that stuff. Uh, so, of course, uh, there was a little bit of People were concerned who would start in goal. It was Darlow in goal, a back five, not surprising at all. Matt Ritchie at left wing back, Kieran Clark, Fabian Scherer, Federico Fernandez, and DeAndre Yedlin, unchanged from the previous matches. Joel Linton starts out wide with Miguel Amaron out wide as well. And then we had a little bit of an interesting twist with both long staffs in the middle. Of course, Isaac Hayden was uh, suspended due, due to yellow card acclimation. So accumulation that acclimation he's not getting acclimated to yellow cards um but <laughs> he was he was suspended so we knew that there was going to be a replacement there i think a lot of people thought it would be jeff hendrick because he doesn't do anything besides like try to defend um but it was sean longstaff uh and so that was interesting and Cal wilson started up top uh and lester they kind of rolled out a pretty standard lineup uh madison as the cam Vardy up top, Albrighton Barnes, Tielemans and Didi in the middle, uh, Justin Fofana Evans and Castagne in the back line, and the Casher Schmeichel. Yeah, wow, Casher Schmeichel and that nothing crazy there. Um, of course, we're not going to get into like the details in the match. Definitely want to just get you guys' general thoughts on the lineup first. Any surprises for you? Any like, oh, thank God this person's in the lineup, et cetera, et cetera. I, I guess I'll, I'll start off just a quick one. I, I think that I was a little bit disappointed that Matt Ritchie got the start at left back. I, I thought that Jacob Murphy with his kind of utility, whether it be right back, left back, or either on the wing, obviously he came in later for, uh, it was, he came in later for Miguel Almiron. So coming in on that right wing, I would have liked to see Murphy at left back. I think that Ritchie has been pretty disappointing this year and it, it's kind of showing that he's probably at the end of his 
you know, Newcastle career coming up soon. And then, as you said, uh, Elijah, at first glance, seeing both Longstaffs and midfield was a bit shocking, but then you remember Hayden is out with yellow cards. I don't want to see John Joe Shelby anywhere near our starting lineup at the moment. Um, and I'll talk about that maybe in a little bit, uh, referring to Chris Woff's article in The Athletic today, speaking about our, our midfield issues. But yeah, fairly standard besides those two gripes. Yeah, I think I'd add the the two Longstaff brothers in center of midfield was actually a highlight for me looking at the lineup. I think all in all, Sean's had a pretty disappointing season. Uh, Maddie's is now just getting started after a couple of games, but it's always exciting to see kind of two Newcastle boys in the center of the park. That's one thing I think that you've been missing a little bit is what they may lack in talent in certain areas. They more than make up for in passion and desire to play for the team and for the black and white shirt. So I think it's always kind of exciting for Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle fans, I should say, to see the two Longstaff brothers in the center of the park. Plus, to Zach's point, Shelby and Hendrick missing out. I think no Newcastle fan was disappointed to see that. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree with both of those. So kind of getting into Matt's play, I, I think it's it's pretty fair to say, like, for the most part, this was a relatively, surprisingly, fairly even match. I don't think either team, both teams struggled with making sense of the final ball but if you look at for a Newcastle match this was fairly even the possession stats were 56 percent to 43 percent in favor of Leicester uh Leicester had one more shot uh and a couple more shots on target pass success was pretty much the same um but both teams looked threatening at times both teams definitely lacked the final ball it definitely felt like at some point whoever scored first was might might walk away with the point, but it also felt like after Leicester scored that Newcastle potentially could get back in it. Um, I think just in terms of anything you guys kind of noticed talking about the first half before we get into any specifics regarding goals, but I mean, whoever wants to go first, I guess we'll start with Adam. Just anything you kind of noticed off the bat. Listen, I think Leicester is a top class team, right? I think we both play, from a tactical standpoint, we like to play on the counterattack, Leicester and Newcastle. However, the big difference for me is the quality in the final third for them. They are not limited to only playing on the break with Vardy's pace, getting in behind and scoring goals. They can cut you open as well from the wings and down the middle as well. Um, top class players on that team. And I think that was on show, especially for the second goal with Tielemans. I thought that was a cracking finish. James Madison is top class. He's going to walk into the England squad for the Euros this summer. Um, they've just got a little bit more quality there. But to your point, Elijah, I think that, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't look terrible. I thought we, um, they, we put in a decent shift, two shots on target to Leicester's three. We weren't shown up on the day. I just don't think we created anything clear cut enough necessarily to warrant us taking a point from this one. I would fairly echo that. I think that it was one of our stronger first half performances I've seen this season. As you mentioned, Elijah, possession stats closest to 50 that I've seen us in a long time. Typically, we're dipping in that mid-30 range, and we were maintaining possession. I thought the Longstaff brothers, as Adam mentioned, showing that grit in the center of midfield um, and kind of jumping into the second half there. It was a difference of class between the two sides, and it, it really did speak to uh, the ability that Leicester has to not only play on the counter, but play with pace. And that was something that was severely lacking for Newcastle in this match. I think that for all the proudful, prideful defensive work that we did, there was almost no attacking threat and attacking coherence. Yes, we can certainly speak to the fact that there were two or three balls flashed right across the six yard box 
asking to be tapped in. I thought that uh, from the three words, the the individual who said, uh, I forget exactly what it was, but nobody at the back post, essentially that summed up Newcastle's attacking threat this game. There, there was nobody who had that poacher instinct, but I think a more important part of why we lost that game was Sean Longstaff and Maddie Longstaff do not have the pace to keep up with a Harvey Barnes. They don't have the pace to keep up with the Euro Tielemans. I think in Didi and Tielemans, with Barnes and Madison in front of them. That's one of the best centers of midfield in the entire league. And it showed both of those goals were class. Both of those goals were product of us giving away the ball in midfield and just not having the speed and tenacity to get it back. Yeah. And I think on that point, I think one thing that did stick out to me this time is that for, I mean, and even with the Liverpool match and we can talk about this uh, later on, but like, I think there was a clear plan in defense. Like Newcastle had a clear plan in defense. They were pressing well, trying to funnel everything through the middle uh, and really congest the midfield, not really allow Lester to, to do anything out wide. And it, it honestly worked, but that's like one half of the equation. There was really no plan in attack. Uh, we saw just so many different ways of Newcastle trying to attack. And it really depended on who started with the ball. Like if that's like, if it was Miguel Amaron, he was trying to beat his man. He was trying to dribble past everyone. If it, the option wasn't there, he was going to play it back immediately. Uh, if it was Fabian Cher, he was going to try to play a Hollywood ball out wide to someone. And if it wasn't there, then like, he's going to play like it. There was no cohesive, like, this is our plan on attack. And I think that that ultimately like really hurts you uh, because I mean, for a variety of reasons, but for the main reasons, like just communication, there was plenty of times where, uh, players thought a ball was going to be this direction and uh, they, they just didn't go. They didn't make that run in that direction, or they thought that uh, a ball, someone was going to be continuing their run out wide and play the long ball over the top. And they didn't, and no one was there, but that's because there's no offensive identity. And so it's nice to have a solid defensive identity. And for the most part, it, it looked like for a little bit that a clean sheet would be fair for Carl Darlow. I mean, the defense shut down a lot of quality Lester attacks. It didn't feel like, Liverpool where Liverpool it felt like a lot of the time Liverpool should have scored and they just didn't so almost an undeserved clean sheet in that regard but it did feel like Newcastle did a decent job of neutralizing Leicester attacks uh but of course as we know Leicester scored two absolutely cracking goals off the counter I mean there there's not much you can do there I don't know if you could place the blame on one individual person I, I think it's just this is one of the best counter-attacking teams in the Premier League and so it was always, and the announcers for NBC alluded to this, it's like they were waiting for Newcastle to allow them to counter effectively. And for a long time, Newcastle did a really good job of just neutralizing the threat before it be, could become a full-blown counter. But the times that it didn't, that, that, that they didn't, unfortunately, were the times that Leicester just flat-out scored. So I don't know, you have any thoughts on just Leicester on the counter, anything regarding that? I think that Leicester plays their best football when they are up one nothing or when they're up one goal. And I, I specify one goal because of that desire that they have to lure teams out into attacking play. Obviously, when they go up a goal, Newcastle, whether they like to or not, is forced to switch to a back four and then push men forward. And as you said, Tielemans had acres and acres of space on the, the goal that ultimately was the game winner. Now that's not exactly to say that anybody was particularly at fault. Yes. Shelby was dispossessed in midfield. That being said, we were never expecting John Joe Shelby to, to be able to have the pace to get back and defend quite nicely, but 
once Leicester goes up one nil, they know exactly what they're doing and they know exactly how to put the game away. And I think Elijah, you did touch on one really important point, which is that it does seem in our attack that everybody is playing to their own individual strengths. Miggy Almiron trying to go on those marauding runs. Joe Linton holding the ball up with his back to goal. Fabian Schaar, when he goes forward as the one center back that really does go forward, trying to play those 60-yard pings. So although that might work in certain scenarios, we all know as educated football fans, you're not going to be able to have a coherent attacking unit if everybody is simply playing to whatever fits them the best. Yeah. Yeah, some great points there. Um, like I said before, Leicester are a top-class team. This Remember, this is a team that went to the Etihad earlier this season and won 5-2, right? So this this is no mugs, and they've been a little bit inconsistent. But uh, I, I agree with Zach. I, I thought we lacked a little bit of identity. Newcastle did going forward. Um, just looked pretty devoid of ideas, not getting any good crosses into the box. And when we did have one or two opportunities in there, I think Callum Wilson is that lone striker. That's a tough position for him to be in for me. I don't. I actually prefer Joe Linton up top by himself than I do Callum Wilson up top by himself and Callum Wilson with a little bit of pace in behind. I just don't think he necessarily is the right guy to lead the line in a 5-4-1 formation. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's 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 a it's a case in point of um, I, I, it's tough because it's you when you play that 5-4-1, you know you're not going to get a lot of chances. And so you want whoever's up top to be someone you know who's going to finish, be able to finish every chance, not every chance, but most of the chances that come their way. But then again, it's like you have to, again, adopt your play style to suit whoever that that leading line, like whoever that number nine is going to be. Right. And so it's like, I don't know if you really gain a lot by playing Joel Linton out wide, who Joel Linton's, I wouldn't say he's an effective dribbler. He, he likes to dribble. I don't think he's great at it by any means, but he likes to do that but he's much better suited as kind of a hold up turn. And like maybe the guys on the wings are getting in behind. Uh, but yeah, Callum Wilson just, he kind of looks out of place when he's by himself in that five for one, I guess we can move on to the next kind of contentious point after the two goals uh, were the subs. Uh, the substitutions were a little bit odd. Um, so we had Jacob Murphy come on for Miguel Amron. That's not crazy. Uh, Joel Linton wasn't having a great game. So I think a lot of people were a little like, oh, well, maybe Murphy for Joel Linton. But then Murphy was sub, not sorry, Joel Linton was served off for John Joe Shelby, which was an interesting move because it signaled a clear formation change. And then after that, uh, DeAndre Edlin came, came off for Andy Carroll. Uh, I mean, any, any thoughts on uh, just those subs? I know a lot of people were, a little like confused, shocked, et cetera, et cetera. I think that it's evident of the lack of attacking depth that we have at Newcastle, which we've, we've known all season. The one thing that I would have done slightly differently is with that first substitution, I like bringing on Jacob Murphy. I'd prefer him to be brought on for Matt Ritchie, push Joe Linton up aside or alongside Callum Wilson, play Murphy at that, left mid left winger maybe put Fabian Schar on the left side and have that 4-4-2 formation I think that that would have been a slightly better way of altering the formation and then still having a more men up top and then be still that attacking threat and Jacob Murphy this isn't saying a lot but one of the better crossers of the ball 
on Newcastle. Uh, but besides that, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm never somebody who wants to see John Joe Shelby come on. And um, we'll, we'll talk about this in the moment at our best and worst player of the match. But I think that there weren't a lot of options for Steve Bruce when looking at his bench and thinking, okay, who can make an impact going forward? I want to push back a little bit on that, Zach. I think we've sat now with several games in a row with Dwight Gale on the bench. And Dwight Gale on his day is a solid Premier League player. Um, he's, sure. he's capable of scoring goals. He's a he's playing out and out. He's a 10 to 15 goal a season striker, I think, if he's playing regularly in a Premier League team. Um, he's on the bench sitting there for Newcastle, and he hasn't been brought on. Now, granted, Big Andy came on. He got his goal. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Um, but Dwight Gale has kind of sat there now for a, a few games in a row, and I wonder why that is is it that bruce doesn't really know how to fit him into the attack is it that he's thinking he's going to be a direct swap for wilson and he puts more stock in wilson which he probably should um but i just think we aren't devoid of players in attack we have gale back now and why aren't we leveraging him so so that's a fair point and maybe then in that case rather than taking miggy off who was one of our more energetic players in that match double switch of Richie and Joe Linton coming off, put in Gale, put in Murphy, shift to that 4-4-2. I think that is a good point. I would dispute, I don't think there's any season in which Dwight Gale scores 15 goals in the Premier League, but I do agree with you. He, he was on a nice run of form, and you, you do ask the question of why ultimately we took off one defender and two midfielders and never brought on our third striker. Yeah, right, right the hot hand, right? He scored that wonder goal, um, the second goal, I think it was against um, West Brom, he scored. And he hasn't really gotten a sniff since. I don't, I don't really understand it. it. It's a bit odd, especially considering out of all the strikers. I mean, he also remember crazy run of form uh, during the restart as well, where he was scoring goals off the bench. And Steve Bruce says he rates him highly, which he does. Um, but that's something we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but yeah. So anyway, the other big storyline from this match, uh, which kind of, I would say it was relevant for a little bit, but uh, I mean, it kind of, became irrelevant. Andy Carroll scores his first goal for Newcastle since I think 2010. Uh, first goal in the Prem in quite some time as well. So, I mean, and it was, it was a great goal. It was not the Andy Carroll goal I was expecting. I was expecting some sort of headed goal off of some set piece, but it was a rocket and well-deserved goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the discussion here though is that there were some rumblings after the fact about Andy Carroll and him kind of accusing uh, the backroom staff of playing a little bit of politics. He thinks that he should be getting some more playing time ahead of the likes of Joel Linton and, and Dwight Gale. And I don't know. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it because I think it's, you guys you guys have watched Newcastle. Is that a warranted excuse? Do you think Andy Carroll deserves to be getting more play time than Joel Linton? Like, I get Joel Linton's not great, but... Carroll at this stage in his career is and should be a bench player. Um, He should be brought on either as an impact sub trying to sneak something off a set piece or winning a penalty against Spurs. Sorry, Mr. Pensek in the latter moments of, uh, of a game against Spurs Um, or he should be used to try and steady things at the back. I thought he did that quite well as well from a set piece standpoint. He not only was dangerous going forward, but he's always good for a headed clearance at the back as well. But in answer to your question, Elijah, no, I think Andy Carroll is exactly where he should be and he can't be relied on either because of injuries so frequently. Yeah. Zach, you got anything to add? 
No, that's really it. I, I was going to say exactly what Adam said. The, he doesn't have the legs to play an entire 90 minutes. He doesn't have the quality to warrant a consistent starting role. And I, I, I don't think that there's any reason to, to consider it otherwise. And like you said, I mean, really the, 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 like Adam kind of pointed out, the player that really should be upset about lack of playing time is probably Dwight Gale, who, I mean, Andy Carroll has not produced for Newcastle and he's had plenty of chances to. I think he was more often than not, especially last season, one of the first strikers, first offensive players off the bench. So he has, he's had plenty of opportunity given like we bring him off and the game plan is literally to swing balls into Andy Carroll. Um, he's had plenty of opportunity to score goals and he has just not scored until this point where he's a season and a half into his Newcastle return and Dwight Gale on the other hand as soon as his number has been called he's scored goals so it's like I don't even know if Andy Carroll has the right to say he should be going ahead of Dwight Gale I mean I think it's a bit ridiculous to kind of insinuate that he that you should be playing ahead of another player no matter how good or bad you think that player is but I mean, I don't know. that. Uh, uh, that's a whole Andy Carroll thing. Um, I guess we can move on to best and worst player. We know how this match ended. Uh, I guess we can start with worst player. Any player for you guys that kind of stuck out that was just, like, not great? Uh, I guess we'll start with Zach. He only played 25 minutes, but John Joe Shelby was, in my mind, clearly the worst player that wore a Newcastle jersey in that match. Uh, the giveaway for the second goal, as I mentioned, not going to blame him entirely. He's never going to catch Yuri Tillemans or, frankly, any of the Leicester players on the counter. But just the lack of any sort of urgency that you see uh, with that man. I, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod a great article uh, from Qu- Chris Woff in the Athletic Today, uh, titled Shelby, the Longstaffs, and a Newcastle midfield muddle. And that essentially sums it up. You have a a center midfield that uh, has not really found any sort of consistency. And I think it's epitomized by a player who is wearing the captain's armband for extended periods of time and now seemingly doesn't deserve a starting role. I think Shelby has all but kind of let this season go by the wayside. And I hope to see him as infrequently as possible on the pitch for Newcastle going forward. Adam. Uh, I don't know if you're going to like this one, Elijah, but I'm going to say Miggy Almiron. Um, I thought, again, another inconsistent performance. I will, I'll start off with the good. He always is good for coverage at the back. He's always the person putting in a lot of effort to get back and help out in defense um, and try and bail out some of the um, some of the defensive players on the Newcastle side. That's the good. The bad is he runs forward, and I feel like I'm watching a headless chicken every time he goes forward. He's running. He doesn't seem to have a purpose. He's trying to take players on. He's constantly losing possession. He looks like he should be dangerous. He's not. And then when he has the opportunity to play the through ball, he either delays it too long and picks the wrong pass and gives up possession, or he just turns the ball over, period. And I'm starting to get frustrated with it. There were conversations that we had um, right after the international break about how he needed to come back in and be given an opportunity to show what he can do. He has been given that opportunity and he's fallen super flat for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would agree. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't particularly impressed with Miguel but I, I wasn't particularly prote- impressed with a lot of our attacking players. Um, it did feel like every final ball, and there was a couple Miggy played. I felt some of those were just the Leicester center backs were good. Like there was one that was like a through ball to Colin Wilson that like it took a lunging stop. And I was like, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do there. 
Uh, but for the most part, I, I would agree. I think it's a lot of being forced. I think he definitely feels of it. He was a little more, a little bit more comfortable um, last season in, in under Rafa. But I think now with a little bit more adversity, I think there's a lot of he's trying to do too much, especially during a, a time where when you're one of these attacking players brought in to produce, uh, and especially when the other one is just in the middle of France somewhere doing who knows what, um, it definitely, you could definitely feel that pressure. Uh, it's the same pressure Joel Linton felt last year. You've got that huge number hanging over your head and players like Jacob Murphy, who costs considerably less are starting to be players that people are like, Oh, we should bring this person in. That being said, I, I don't think neither one of them were particularly great. Jacob Murphy had some questionable decisions. He had one good moment. Miguel Amaro had one good moment, but outside of that, both of them did exactly what you're saying. Uh, just interesting running, interesting decisions going forward. Um, I would agree with Zach, though. I think John Joe was probably the worst, but I think it really was just accented by the fact that he's playing along two midfielders that, although they don't look athletic at times, they are going to work their socks off. Uh, it's that that Jordy in them. So when you're placed next to those two guys it, it, and you're already John Joe, you don't really work hard you're going to look really bad. And, uh, and he really was just not great. And I mean, it's unfortunate. Uh, we'll move on to best player. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I struggled a little bit with coming out with an outstanding player. I didn't think we had necessarily bad performances all over the park. That's not true, but there wasn't really one standout to me. So I went with somebody who I feel like we've looked more solid since he's come into the lineup. He started nine consecutive games now in all competitions for Newcastle and is not a guaranteed starter either. And that's Kieran Clark. Um, I think Federico Fernandez gets a lot of the plaudits. I think he's done an awesome job standing in um, in place of LaSalle's and possibly Shelby as well as captain of Newcastle. He's fantastic. I think he's a top class defender, but I think Kieran Clark does everything he is asked of and more. Uh, and I think the other thing I like about Clark is he offers us a really legitimate threat going forward from set pieces, corners and free kicks. He's in there, he's threatening. Um, and he just gives us, I think, a little bit of a mature head at the back and a little bit more stability across the back line when I see him play. I always am happy when he's in the lineup. Yeah, um, that, I agree. I think he's been an unsung hero of sorts. Uh, Zach? I was kind of a, uh, juggling between Kieran Clark, who I agree has been this very settling figure for Newcastle, got that goal a couple of weeks ago, albeit a, a bit of a deflected header. Uh, I went with Matty Longstaff, uh, largely because this was his – third match in nine days after only playing after his last match being 340 days previous. So when I saw him in the starting lineup, I was pretty worried that, you know, there might be some sort of issue with a non-contact injury, maybe pulling a hamstring or something of that nature, just because he hasn't game fit, if you will, for such a long period of time, but that energy in midfield, yes, he certainly lacks uh, really any sort of threat going forward. He's not a terribly quick midfielder, but, and this is a wild, you know, comparison. I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but he kind of offers that sort of N'Golo Conte, you know, maybe pre this season type energy where he's always hounding players. He's always trying to win the 50, 50 balls. And I think that that is very important in a Newcastle midfield that is perpetually in flux. So I like seeing Matty back. I think, you know, Steve Bruce has, said to the to the credit of both of the players we've mentioned he said that Kieran Clark deserves a new contract and Matty Longstaff might be the only 
midfielder who deserves a starting role match after match. So I think that both of them should be keeping their roles in the team and we can talk about it. We can't talk about it, but something that I'm interested to see is where does Jamal LaSalle's fit into on this side? Because I think that there hasn't really seemingly been a weakness in defense in the last couple of matches. Yeah, uh, that, that's fair. Um, maybe it's, it, uh, yeah, I think you could argue that there's been early on, there was some organizational issues, but the last two matches, I, I would agree. Not, not anything crazy. Uh, for me, I'm going to go DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, I just thought, I wouldn't say like Adam said, not anyone who's outstanding, but I thought DeAndre Yedlin deserves a shout out. And because we haven't recorded since he's had a decent run of form, I have to give him a shout out. Uh, he's a player who pretty much is gone. Uh, in January, but he's he's been asked to come in and do a job. He's done it. He's done it to the best of his ability. And this five in the back formation, uh, it suits him because there's a lot more cover for him to go forward. And he is a legitimate threat as an outside back, especially when he's able to deliver two or three decent crosses a match. And that's what he's kind of being asked to do. And that's what he does. And he's able to track back. Uh, really well and honestly i've been a bit i've I've honestly been impressed with his one-on-one defending as well i I think it's 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 improved um albeit it's still not great it's not he's not a trent alexander arnold or anything but it's it's better than i thought it was uh before uh this season especially under bruce which i mean we've brought up multiple times it's really hard to judge players under this setup but i'd say that deandre edlin has definitely earned a little bit of a shout out um, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about Newcastle as a whole the past couple of matches, uh, and that should be quite interesting. So here's a break. All right, a great break that was indeed. Um, I'm sure that whatever commercials played, they were wonderful. Um, so, yeah, Newcastle has had an interesting um, – bit of a uh of of matches recently um of course i guess we can kind of go in order um we of in terms of disappointment i think the disappointment probably started right before brentford but i think i don't know are we all in agreement that i think brentford was start of a start was the start of the of a collective low point among newcastle fans or would you place it somewhere else either later down the line or earlier I don't know. I feel like that was a good gauge where I was like, you know, tough match before, but it's Brentford. We should be able to beat them one, nothing. It's like, yeah, we're going to have these matches where we get blown out. But again, it's Brentford. We should at least be able to compete. Uh, Would you guys argue something differently? Full of leads. I don't know. I I would say it starts with the leads match for sure. For me, we had, uh, you know, three consecutive matches against the newly promoted side started off with a two, one victory against West Brom. And then uh, consequently got absolutely demolished by leads only got one point against a Fulham side that was down a man for the latter 35 minutes of the match. I think that the, the leads match was really the beginning of the, the really, really poor run of form that Newcastle found prior to let's say the Liverpool match, but We'll obviously have to see if we can get back into winning ways as we haven't been uh, in a winning position since the 12th of December. Yeah. Uh, Adam, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think the biggest disappointment for me was actually the Fulham game. Um, I really, I really was not happy in the way that we 
set about ourselves when we had that one man advantage. I thought we just played in the same toothless way that we had much of the game. We we're fortunate to get a penalty. I thought in that one, um, when Wilson scored, got us back into the game. You thought that would be some of the impetus to kind of really push forward and do it. And we didn't, we just were just really boring and defensive minded and didn't really take it to a team that, you know, should be falling out of the premier league this season. Uh, so I think that's kind of where it started for me. I actually disagree with the Leeds commentary. I think Leeds are a top-class side. I think Leeds are a much better side than Newcastle United are. Um, sorry to be to be blunt on that, but I just think that um, they have quality across that team. Um, they've invested heavily, and they have a 10 times better manager and coach, Marcelo Bielsa, than we have. I think we should, you know, had we got a point at Leeds, I'd have been really, really happy not getting three points against Fulham. I was devastated. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of use Brentford as a touch point, like as just a basis for where where I feel like it's a good midpoint between when we last recorded and what we're doing now. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, I felt like the Leeds match was going to be either a draw or just a thrashing. Uh, just based on like, I felt Newcastle could frustrate Leeds by just sitting back because not a lot of teams sit back against Leeds. Uh, leads are usually just taking it towards everyone and everyone's just like, all right, we're going to just throw punches. Uh, but the full match, I think was just a harsh reminder of, of the Bruce era, mainly because this happened already. This happened with Southampton, uh, Newcastle oh, during the restart played a large chunk of the match against Southampton up a man. And it took a wonder goal from Alan St. Maxman in like the 90th, 91st or 92nd minute uh, or 90th minute to uh to to secure three points there and we walked away with the one nil advantage despite being up a man for a large chunk of the match uh so when that happened against Fulham it was like I wasn't surprised I was just de- definitely disappointed now on that point uh since then uh we had the one nil match to Brentford which I think kind of just was an added low point uh because Brentford are championship side although Brentford are a a well-coached side they've made a lot of really good signings um, almost made it to the prem last season. But again, uh, the team that we put out was a strong team and that team should at least have created more opportunities than they did against Brentford. Uh, we then had the man city match Liverpool then Leicester city. Now I would say, do you guys, uh, I'm, this is a question for, for the collective has Newcastle improved at all since the Fulham match, or are we just starting to get luckier and luckier? That's uh, a good question. I think I, I think we've been better organized at the back. I think I would start there. Darlow has been playing out of his skin, um, had no chance with the two goals against Leicester. And I thought, you know, obviously wrote his luck a little bit against Liverpool, but deserved it. And it was a great, great performance from him, earning him England possible plaudits there. Um, and I think we've been pressing a lot more. I think Zach, you and I have been talking about this quite a lot. The press, the high press seems to be something that we've seen a lot consistently against these top teams that we've been trying to do in the last couple of games. Um, and we're going to need to continue to do it against those teams because that's the only way that we'll stand a chance in those games. It allowed us to be competitive against Liverpool. It allowed us to be competitive against Leicester. And I just think that's, that's a good thing for us moving forward. We're on 19 points. We got a point against Leicester. We had about 20 halfway to safety. So all in all, I feel like there's been some positives to take from the last few games since the Brentford one. Yeah, Zach. 
I agree. I think that the re the resorting to a back five has been a bit more positive than I would have expected, just based on what we've, you know, the issues that we've seen a back five has caused for Newcastle in matches past under Steve Bruce. I think that the the pressing, I, I almost don't even want to give any credit for, for because it seems like a, a very kind of, you know, very, very obvious uh, tactic to implement based on the issues that we were seeing. But that being said, being objective, I do think Newcastle has improved in the last three matches. Were we lucky to only lose two nothing to Manchester city? Probably were we somewhat fortunate slash on the back of purely Carlo Carl Darlow's play to, to get a draw against Liverpool. I think so. Uh, and then Leicester was pretty much played out exactly as I expected it to uh, but yeah, I think the higher press, the surprise return of DeAndre Yedlin that Elijah mentioned, and the continued uh, world, not world class maybe, but but top, top level play of Carl Darlow are those three positives. That being said, the negatives are as evident as they've always been for Newcastle. The lack of awareness, lack of awareness in the final third is appalling. There's no sort of attacking identity really for the side, and we've talked about that. And then finally, the last two things that, again, we've harped on, a lack of creative uh, creativity in the midfield. And finally, the same old, same old bullshit from Steve Bruce in every single post-match interview. We're caught on the counter, we're punished, and that's it. It doesn't seem as though there's any sort of tactical evaluation of what went wrong. It's simply, oh, darn, we give up two goals in the second half. But hey, look, we only gave up goals in the second half. And it's it's a tired trope that doesn't mean at anything when it comes to actually looking at the qualities in the team. Yeah, I, I, I would, I think that was brilliantly said. The only thing I would add is that surprisingly, I feel like the Leicester match, I think was the, the best match out of, out of all the matches. Uh, just because uh, if you look at it from an expected goal perspective, and I'm not a, the biggest on analytics, but I do think like with expected goals, there's there's something to be said there. That should have been a draw, according to XG. It was 0.57 to 0.56. And given the fact that Newcastle had a couple clear-cut chances where they just fired it straight at the keeper instead of just in the back of the net, and Leicester had their two clear-cut chances, and they took them and they scored, I feel like that's that's fair. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's good. I think that's more of what we like to see. And I think what's, what's more impressive is that Newcastle seemed a little bit more comfortable on the ball, but like you said, the issue is not comfortability on the ball. That's one thing. I'm glad we addressed the things that should have been addressed going into the season, solidity at the back, uh, being comfortable in possession, uh, Newcastle at times seemed more comfortable out of possession. Than they are in possession. And those two things I feel have, have definitely improved, but the final third and what we do in attack and our attacking ideas, that still needs to be improved. But overall, I'd say, given the fact we went from being thrashed 5-2 by Leeds to only giving up two goals to Leicester and holding Liverpool scoreless for the first time in, I think it was like 20-something matches where they hadn't scored a goal, I would say there's been some improvement. Is it enough to keep us up? That's That's a wonderful question that I don't have the answer to, uh, but it doesn't matter because we're going to take a break right now. All right. Um, so we're going to do some odds and ends. This should be relatively quick and then we'll get everyone out of here. So if you're trying to break this one up, you've probably just leave the rest of this for like Friday 
when you're drinking your morning coffee. Um, but a, a couple of things that kind of popped up on the news feed today, uh, and we'll probably go into more detail as we find more information, but Shields Gazette came out with a report that uh, a high-level executive BN basically penned a letter uh, asking members of the Premier League to interfere with the potential Saudi Arabian Newcastle takeover. The takeover is still something that is being talked about. Uh, so I don't know if, does anyone have any thoughts on that? I mean, I feel like it's, it's not surprising. It's interesting that this letter got leaked. Uh, but other than that, I don't, I don't really know what this, what this means. Anyone, any thoughts, Zach, we'll start with you. According to Luke Edwards, friend of the pod, uh, the letter was written on April 22nd. So this isn't something that was, you know, in truly the thick of the, the takeover conversation, which I would say is mid to late May, early June before, you know, the everything fell apart at the end. Um, I, I, I think that nothing is going to come of this. I think that's the most important thing. This is not a realization that's going to vilify the Premier League and uh, mean that there is now an opening for uh, the Saudi consortium to come in and buy the team. But it does it does pour some salt in the wound, especially on the back of the announcement that the Burnley takeover has happened with American investors purchasing that club. And you're seeing another club uh, that is in that mid to lower tier of the Premier League get taken over, get the hopes of what a rebuild might look like. And it, it's, it's more something to, to see the headline and look away rather than devote a lot of time and effort to, in my opinion. I'll just add that um, I never liked be in sports when we were in the championship, their coverage of the championship season was crap. And um, I don't like them right now either. Well said, Adam. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Zach said it is, it is old news, but I do think it's interesting. Um, I mean, like there's no way to confirm whether any teams actually conspired to get involved with this, but it is quite bold of someone from BN to directly write uh, to everyone in the Premier League, basically airing out a lot of what could be considered dirty laundry. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a bit much, but it's quite fascinating that this was even leaked. Uh, I think I think that for me is what you, like, I don't know. It seems like this is something that could have stayed in house, but the fact that it was leaked is, is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, other than that, no real crazy news. Uh, we can hop into BS meter real quick because that is fun. Uh, so Hamza Chowdhury, uh, is a player that has been linked to Newcastle in the past week. Uh, we know that Steve Bruce does not really have the largest January budget, uh, to say the least, and he will be the first to let you know that he doesn't have a large budget. Trust me. Uh, we'll, we'll hear a lot of that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but Hamza Chowdhury was a uh, a name that was brought up as a potential loanee. Uh, midfield is an area we need help in. He's a young midfielder. Uh, I mean – has not really gotten a lot of game time for Leicester's played a little bit in their Europa league matches, things like that. Uh, and then when asked about it, Brendan Rogers even commented and said that he's someone who might still be in the plans for Leicester going forward. He seems to value him and Steve Bruce kind of made a, it's something that's in the works. Like we're working on getting some loan moves in, but Hamza Chowdhury, is that a load of BS? Adam, we'll start with you. Um, I don't think it's a load of BS but I think it should be um, for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, what happens when Hamza Chowdhury walks into Benton on the training ground and comes face to face with Matt Ritchie? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> oh my God. Ritchie the is cameras insane. need to be out. We he need is, ASM to be filming. That's, that's, 
Oh man, that is going to be tasty. And then the second reason I say we don't need this is because Hamza Chowdhury is primarily a defensive midfielder. That is the one area of midfield where we do not need help. We need somebody that can be creative. We could need someone that can thread passes through to the top class striker that we finally have. Hamza Chowdhury is not that player. We don't need another person to compete with Longstaff brothers, with Hayden, with Shelby for that defensive role in our team that just sits back. Um, I'm, I'm just not excited about this. I don't think it's BS because I think openly Bruce has said that he's excited about it. Just don't see where he fits. Yeah, and and on that note, I mean, and we'll move to you, Zach, in a second. It's very interesting. Bruce is this infatuation with anyone who has played a minute in the Premier League. He's not big on Samare, but he would love Hamza Chowdhury or Nabil Bentaleb because they've played in the Prem. Uh, Zach, on to you. I think Adam put it exactly correctly. I'd say it's a, it's about a it's a ping pong ball of BS to me. I don't think that there's any reason why you would think that this isn't possible. Chowdhury has zero shot of getting in to a fully fit Leicester team in front of Ndidi and Tielemans. I think that um, this, as Adam mentioned, is a classic Bruce signing of, hey, this player has played in England, meaning he's ready for the England game. But I don't, yeah, I, I agree. If we're if we're gonna sign, if we're gonna sign a midfielder, he better be able to beat men and take the ball forward. And Hamza Chattery at no point has proved that he can do either of those two things. He, he's he's a good enforcer, as we, we're well aware of. Uh, and we've got plenty of guys who are considered dirty players. So I don't know if that's going to help Newcastle's case. Uh, moving on to some more incoming guys, Jetro Willems, another player who has been offered up, uh, not really in the picture at Frankfurt. I don't know if it's a bad thing because the last time we saw Jetro Willems, he was by and large one of the better players at Newcastle. He's been very open about, like, I wouldn't say directly open about wanting to come back to Newcastle, but he's definitely done a lot of hinting at the fact that he would not mind returning to Newcastle. Uh, but it, it's rumored he could be available on a very cut rate fee. Uh, given he's got six months left on his deal. Uh, amount of BS on this. Zach, we will start with you. I think no BS on this one. This one seems to make a lot of sense to me. We have no out-and-out left back that is fully healthy at the moment. Paul Dummett was on the bench against Leicester, but hasn't played or started a game for Newcastle in quite a while. And frankly, I've always had my doubts of if Paul Dummett is truly a left back, even when he is fully fit. I think that when Jamal Lewis has had his issues, uh, Adam and I have spoken about the need for some veteran presence to possibly kind of teach Jamal Lewis what it takes to be a every match left back in the Premier League or, or frankly, any division, a uh, first division team. So I think Jetro Williams would be a great signing, would start over Matt Ritchie in a second. And uh, obviously I, I think that there is some politics being played by Willems. He wants playing time, especially with six months left in his contract. If he's going to get any bites from another club, whether it be Newcastle or somebody else, he needs to be playing in those final six months. Uh, I think he's being a little cheeky with his social media posts and in a, a bit of a smart way. Yep. Uh, I think you, you summed it up pretty well there, Zach. The only thing I would add is that, I would agree. No BS there because we actually need help in that position, right? Um, looking at Willems, he's a player that can come in and make an immediate impact. The one thing I would add is he hasn't proven that he's come back from that injury yet, that he can come back from that injury and that he's back to full fitness. So 
I don't think we'd expect miracles from him if he came in. He'd probably be somebody that we would not be starting every game and slowly starting to get back to full fitness. Yeah, I think if you bring him in, it's one of those it's one of those instances where uh, Jamal Lewis, like that's the floor for him in his career is Jetra Willems. Like we saw kind of the jet, the player Jetra Willems was rumored to be last season. Uh, great going forward, dynamic on the ball, solid defensively. Not a great defender, but solid enough. But really, just more of an an offensive threat. And that's what Jamal Lewis was built built to be. Like he's built to be this offensively minded fullback and Jethro would be a perfect person for him to kind of learn from learn the ropes from uh we'll get through uh the last incoming guy we got Jacob Greaves a whole city center back linked to Newcastle uh this one kind of came out of nowhere he's a young player uh for some reason there's been a quite a bit center of center backs linked to Newcastle despite the fact that Newcastle are probably deepest at center back uh with not only having like five center backs and Paul Dummett who's essentially a center back uh, but also having Emil Kraft. Uh, and now we know Isaac Hayden, who all play center back. But yeah, this is another one that's popped up. So uh, thoughts on that real quick, since it's kind of a new one. Adam. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know a huge amount about um, Jacob Greaves, but what I can say is it's a young defender, 20 years old. Do we really need help there right now? Um, we have Florian Lejeune on loan, who will hopefully come back in and be pushing for a place next season after his loan um, out in Spain this season. I just don't know that we necessarily need help there right now. What are we going to do with him? Is he going to play, play in the under 23s? Is he going to sit on the bench and maybe just have a bit part place in the team? Um, what I did read is that he's available for somewhere between 500,000 and 1 million. So it's fairly low risk. I'd say the BS meter is right about halfway there. Um, just because I think it is a transfer that we could potentially afford, but I don't know that we necessarily need. We missed the big player from Hull City. Um, Zach knows I'm, I'm a big kind of lower league, championship league one fan. I like to follow what's going on there. We missed out on Jared Bowen um, when, when Hull were in the championship, and that guy is top class doing the business for West Ham right now. That's the Hull player I would have liked to have signed. Yeah. I'd say it's a... Uh... I'm going to go with a boss dose size BS on this one. I don't think that this is a signing that Newcastle should or will make. We have plenty of center backs, as we've all mentioned. Uh, even in the U23 team, Stefan O'Connor is a center back that I've kept my eye on largely uh, just because Greg has reminded me of uh, the fact that Newcastle has uh, youth teams, which is something that we forget about often with how few good players come from those youth teams i don't see any particular reason why we need to sign greaves and if we do he would immediately be loaned out or put on the u23 side so honestly i think it's a deal that wouldn't benefit either newcastle neither newcastle nor the player himself yeah it's an interesting one i think i would i honestly because it doesn't make sense that that that's been my my mindset with bs meter if it doesn't make sense it's probably something newcastle are interested in because especially like steve bruce he, he doesn't seem to make a ton of sense with 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 some of his transfers uh so i think it could happen if the price is is that low of a 500k to one mil i don't see why it couldn't happen especially because like we've had to at times play players out of position at center back it's worked out but it's still like not ideal but you have to one question the move if you're the player because there's 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 four clear center backs that are all vying for two to three spots and you could 
you could argue that like you it's a it's almost a toss-up at times as to who's going to be playing there and is this guy really better than Federico Fernandez or Fabian Cher or or Jamal Lascelles or Kieran Clark and the answer is probably no so this is this is not happening in my opinion unless someone else leaves and that could happen uh and we'll do a couple outgoing players just to close up this segment um DeAndre Yedlin linked apparently with an MLS team uh, in the Eastern Conference. This comes out of Sports Illustrated. Uh, there's a couple possible destinations. Fun fact, Seattle Sounders inquired about DeAndre Yedlin last summer, but no deal was able to be reached. So that's that's nice. But DeAndre Yedlin would be returning back to America, playing MLS, a, a move that has been rumored for about a year or so. People thought he'd go back to MLS at some point. Uh, but, I mean, there's a host of teams that it makes sense for that have the money for Inter Miami, FC Cincinnati, Columbus Crew, Atlanta United. Uh, so, BS on this DeAndre Yedlin getting sold in January. I think if you asked me this three weeks ago, I would mm. say a, a, a minute, if not complete lack of any BS. But now that he is seeming to knock on that consistent starting role, and who knows? I mean, we know that Newcastle fullbacks will play decent for two matches and then have absolute howlers the match after. But it seems to be a little a little less likely that he'll be going out in January. The other rumor that I've seen before the Sports Illustrated article was uh, Yedlin possibly going to Turkey and playing for Trabansor. So uh, that's a, a country that has recruited a number of former Newcastle players. Demba Ba, Papi Cisse have both gone to Turkey in the past few years. But I mean, you'd, you'd have to think that if Yedlin is going to start in this pivotal match coming up against Sheffield United, that would essentially mean that there's no way Newcastle, uh, or maybe not no way, but there's a very low likelihood that we'll be letting him go in January. Yeah. I'd say this one's, this one's kind of a mid to um, mid to low BS here or mid to high. I should say BS. Sorry. I'm still getting my BS meter skills fine tuned here. And the reason why is I think DeAndre Yedlin's 27 years old for me. He's not done at the top level. Um, and you see a lot of players that move to the MLS in the twilights of their career. This guy should be in his prime right now. Um, I don't think that his next move is back to MLS. If anywhere, I think he would move to, to Zach's point somewhere in Europe. I think he would try and cut his teeth there. There's a lot of good up and coming us players that are based in Europe right now, outside of the premier league. I think that that would be a natural move for him. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I don't know. I, I think I could see it happening. I think like Zach said three weeks ago, it, I'd say this is a hundred percent happening. I would push back on the too young for MLS thing, because there's a lot of players who are now playing in their prime in the MLS uh, coming from Mexico, coming even back from Europe, back into the MLS and playing out their primes there. It's, it's it's an interesting t- turn uh, the past couple seasons for MLS. They've they've kind of moved away from signing incredibly old players outside of your Blaze Matuidi's and things like that. You've got yeah. Inter Miami doing whatever the hell they're doing, but it didn't work out for them. The teams that have been most successful over the past few seasons in MLS and people have taken notice are the teams that are signing guys either in their prime or right before they get to their prime. Your Atlanta United, your LAFCs, your even the LA Galaxy have moved away from signing old players, and they've signed the youngest, hottest prospects in Argentina and such. That being said, I could see this happening because I do think DeAndre Yedlin would love to go back to MLS. So that is enough about Americans. We're going to hop into someone who's not American. Um, 
which that was a terrible transition for this next player. But uh, <laughs> Orlando Aarons is a player who apparently is like, by the time this podcast comes out, he might already be a Huddersfield Town player, but he's apparently being sold to Huddersfield Town, another player who's uh, not a lot of time left on his, his, uh, on, <laughs> on his deal. And he's, he's found, uh, he's fa- I wouldn't say he's found his love on the championship, but he's been decent enough in the championship and clearly not a Newcastle level Zach, we'll start with you. Uh, BS meter on this. Zero BS. Uh, good to get a profit off him before his contract runs out. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, Adam, anything to add there? I would say low BS on this one as well. Yeah, I think it's a good move for all parties. Huddersfield are a mid-table championship side, and that's exactly where Rolando Aaron should be. Yeah, um, I mean, wish him the best of luck and all that good stuff, but it's another player that hadn't really worked out for Newcastle. Um, Biggest dis- then, disappointment for me since Nile Ranger, I would say, Orlando Ernst. Yeah. That's... Oh, I disagree with that. In terms of in terms of youth players coming through, maybe maybe not in terms of signings and acquisitions, but in terms of youth players that potentially showed promise, Aaron's is a big disappointment for me. Fair, fair enough. Uh, Adam Armstrong takes the cake there, especially with how good he's been this year for Blackburn. But we don't need to dwell on former Newcastle Academy busts. <laughs> Ivan Tony over at Brentford. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think the funny thing about the Academy bus thing is that like every uh, it's it's funny because like Newcastle fans are throwing fits about it, but it's like every other team with an actual academy in the Prem, they all have the same thing where they have former players that are killing it in other leagues and other the other parts of england etc cetera, etc cetera. but newcastle's academy is so bad that like the sl- the one one or two times it happens it's like the world is ending for newcastle fans like we've missed out on this great town i'm like no talk to chelsea fans they've got a lot of players that they they exactly. definitely they wish they could have they could have kept exactly um, the, the, the the fact that we're do- <laughs> the, the fact that we're dwelling on players who are playing well in the championship sums it all up yeah it, it's not like we let Kevin De Bruyne walk away for free. Nothing like that. Nothing, nothing crazy. Speaking, speaking of Chelsea, Elijah, one I heard today that I don't think was on your list was Fikeo Tamori. Elijah, I'll start with you. BS meter on Fikeo Tamori potentially. Coming yeah, uh, he wasn't on my list because I think Greg has brought him up every single week we've recorded CHN Radio because he wants this to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I like. I'm not against it. I think it's funny. Uh, like that we're still just being linked to center backs because it's like, that's just not the priority at Newcastle at all right now. Like I get maybe if you're coming from that old school of thought, that Sam Allardyce and obviously definitely Steve Bruce uh, side of like, in order to survive, you need to be solid defensively. Like, sure. But I don't know if being solid defensively necessarily means you need to have seven center backs on your roster, but I mean, if that's what it takes and we're going to use our loan slot on that, uh, sure. I'm not mad about that. Uh, I think the the thing with Tamori is like, I think I would love that. And I think there's low BS on this. I think that's definitely, we've done a lot of loan deals with Chelsea uh, over the past couple seasons. And I mean, honestly, most of the time it works out, especially these past couple seasons. I think the Kennedy second loan was a whole thing in itself, but Atsu was a solid like piece that we picked up from Chelsea and Kennedy's first year was fine. So I think this makes sense on a lot of levels, but I wish it was alone to buy because that'd be sick. We don't really have a young premier league quality center back. A lot of our center backs are just continuing to age. Zach, you on Tamori. 
you said it all. It would be nice in theory, but there's no need for Newcastle to use a, a loan signing on a center back at all, at all, at all. There, we shouldn't do it. That's not a good signing. We shouldn't make that move. It's going to be Hamza Chowdhury in tomorrow <laughs> in January, and we're going to be like, what the hell? We're better off bringing in Danny Rose on loan if that's the case. So <laughs> both of those players uh, are better than Nabil Bentaleb though. So we've got that going for that's us. That's fair. I really wanted Nabil to be good because he's a beast in FIFA and he was fun to watch on his day. And he's in, a in classic, Germany. he's a classic FIFA loan signing. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We, we could do an entire podcast on horrible, horrible second half loan signings by Newcastle. And in fact, I think, Oh, I thought you were going to say we could do an entire podcast on just FIFA signings, which I think we, we actually probably could. Uh, Adam, I, I don't. I feel like we should definitely hear your thoughts on Tamori since you brought it up. Um, I I like the idea of it, but I don't see what ser- purpose it serves outside of him getting game time for Chelsea. There's, it's not going anywhere. So, um, and I don't think we need the help there necessarily right now. Exciting young player. Chelsea have got lots of them. I don't know if he'll necessarily be there for the formative years of his career. I think he'll be out on loan a decent amount. So we'll see. Yeah, and Chelsea, they're very hesitant to sell players, even if they're not in the picture. It's probably one of the most frustrating things about having to deal with loanies from Chelsea. They they are solid, and they will perform for you, but you will have them for that season and that season alone. Um, Moving on to our final BS meter person, and this is something that we've brought up before, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it, especially given, similarly to DeAndre Yedlin, where a few weeks ago, maybe this is a different answer. Matty Longstaff to Darby County. It's an interesting one uh, where it keeps popping up, and it it doesn't make a ton of sense, uh, mainly because Darby have a lot of, like, that's probably the position they're deepest at, and as a team that's, currently not doing well in the championship they've been hovering around that relegation zone offense is what they need and i don't think maddie longstaff is that dynamic offensive midfielder you need to you're going to bring in if anything darby should be knocking on the door asking about dwight gale uh but that being said bs meter maddie longstaff to darby i think high bs on this one i think he's not going anywhere yep i think that he's staying at newcastle especially going to Derby. I mean, Rooney's there. Maybe maybe there's an allure of playing um, for, for Wayne Rooney at Derby. But Derby have actually been improving over the last couple of weeks. They've, they've put together a couple of wins in their, in their last five. So um, I just, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know why we'd allow him to do that, especially after the whole debacle last summer when we let his contract expire. We brought him back. Why would we do that just to let him go back out on loan? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, you got to remember, Matty has not really gone out on loan. That's that's been probably the the I wouldn't say frustrating thing, but I think that's been the weird thing about this was Sean was on loan a bunch, and definitely by the time he he got his chance in the Premier League, like I wouldn't say it was deserved, but it was kind of expected. Maddie was dominating the U twenty three levels, but really has not been a, a person who's actually been out on loan. And so I I honestly think a loan spell would be good for Maddie, but our midfield's in such disarray. As like literally, our my answer to this, legit. There's a podcast like four weeks ago was like, this makes sense in terms of like Maddie should be loaned out to a championship side in order to improve on some of the rawer aspects of his game and maybe make him a little bit more of a threat going forward under some uh, less pressure to be like, oh, we gotta win this match to stay in the prem because for him it doesn't matter. 
But after him starting the past couple of matches and honestly not being the worst midfielder on the pitch for Newcastle, like it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore uh, because I think like there's, there's, if Newcastle don't drastically improve at that midfield position, that Hayden Maddie Longstaff midfield might be something that could stick around uh, for a little bit because it was, it was probably one of the better midfield at covering ground for if anything else. All right, um, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to hop into a quick, 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 quick Arsenal preview. Um, another one where maybe if we had done this preview three weeks ago, it'd be different. But now things have changed drastically for both sides. So we'll catch you after this break. Boom, we are back at it. Another episode of CHN Radio um, where we are going to talk about, like, Newcastle going up against a team that they probably won't beat. I think that's every other episode of this. Um, but here we are. We're going to talk a little bit of Arsenal. Um, first, we'll start with injuries. Uh, there's been a couple of injuries updates. And again, this is our only episode for the week. We're doing this early on in the week. So things could change by the time the match actually happens. But for the time being, uh, as of Monday night, Eastern Standard Time, um, right now, what we do know is ASM Definitely, we don't know where the hell he is. I think he's in France right now, recovering from COVID, recovering from a thigh injury. Uh, right now, it seems like he's just having himself a grand old time on on vacation with all the pictures he's posting, him and the fam. But he's probably not going to be available for Arsenal. Martin Dubrovka, we did see on the bench. Uh, I don't, I'm, I don't think it's fair to drop Darlow after that Leicester match. So I don't, I don't think we'll see Dubrovka playing against Arsenal uh, this weekend. Uh, Jamal Lewis is still out with injury. Uh, Ryan Fraser, that's something we really didn't talk about on this pod uh, because he uh, it happened while we were kind of on our uh, hiatus. Uh, he's he's done for probably the majority of January with a groin injury. And Jamal Sells could be making a return uh, this weekend. If I were Bruce, there's no real reason to rush him back because the back five has done quite well the past couple matches. So, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Steve Bruce is the king of it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And for Arsenal, uh, Gabriel's injured. Uh, I think that's Reese Nelson. He's also injured. He's got a muscle injury. And Thomas Partey, he's out. But other than that, it seems like they've got a fully fit squad. Lineup predictions. Who do you think uh, Newcastle are going to start? Start. Uh, wow, I messed up that question. Who do you guys think Newcastle are going to roll with uh, this weekend against Arsenal? Formation included. I'd like to hear this. Like, is it going to be a five in the back? We're going to go back to the four, four, two, who knows? Uh, I think it'll be a four, four, two. My not prediction, but my opinion here is with Sheffield United with the match against Sheffield United coming only three days after our FA cup match with Arsenal, Steve Bruce needs to rest as many of our first team starters as he possibly can in our FA Cup match. I think that Sheffield United is miles and miles more important than an FA Cup fixture. I disagree with you on one thing, Elijah. I would absolutely start Martin Dubravka, give Carl Darlow a break. I think besides that, if Paul Dummett is fit, you play him at left back. He was on the bench. Carol and Gail up top next to one another in that classic 4-4 fucking two of old school English 
players. I think Jeff Hendrick gets in the side. I think Emil Kraft gets in the side. I think Javier Manquillo gets in the side, potentially, if you want to play Kraft at center back. I would love to see Elliot Anderson actually play in this match. I know that that is Greg Troxell's dream child of the Newcastle youth teams, but that's a center midfielder who has scored five goals for the U23 side. I would love to see him behind the strikers, just test him out there. But the most important point here is I would, again, rest as many players as possible because there's no way in the world that you can tell me that this match I know it's an FA Cup match, but there's no way you can say that this is remotely as important as the match that comes up three days later against currently the worst team in Premier League history. We need three points from that match. We don't need to win the FA Cup, and we won't win the FA Cup. That is spot on, Zachary. You took the words right out of my mouth. The only thing I disagree with is the formation. I think we continue with the 5-4-1 because of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality of Steve Bruce. But if I was going to ask you this question, who do you think is more likely to field their like kind of reserve players in this fixture? It's Newcastle. It's not Arsenal. I feel like Arsenal need to keep that momentum going, that four-game win streak that they have. They are the FA Cup holders. They won it last year. They want to defend it. They're going to put out a strong side in this game. And to, to Zach's point exactly, right, we really need those three points against Sheffield United and what could be the final nail um, in the Sheffield United coffin for Chris Wilder. Um, I, I 100% agree with you, Zach. I think this is a meaningless game for us. We don't need the added distraction. We need to concentrate on picking up points in the league. I, I'm, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I agree with you guys, but I also want to remind you that this isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't Tata Martino. This isn't uh, even like, I don't even know, insert mediocre MLS manager here. This is Steve Bruce. And Steve Bruce is, is going to, he's, he's out to prove some point. I don't, I don't really know. I don't care, but I could definitely see him playing a incredibly strong lineup for no reason. He essentially started a premier league lineup against Brentford, which in theory, he just did not need to do. Like he played the strongest available team we had against Brentford. We still lost. But like the fact that he did that, like is just like that speaks level to itself because it's not it's not the FA Cup for sure, and it's not the league. It's arguably even worse. It's the EFL Cup, which literally no one cares about. Like if you win the EFL Cup, like cool, congrats. Like it's nice to have silverware, and I'm sure fans would be excited about going to Wembley and all that kind of stuff. But when we look at things that Premier League teams are concerned with, it is of course number one Premier League, number two FA Cup, and number three EFL Cup. And for the EFL Cup. Steve Bruce fielded one of the strongest sides, just lineups in general this season. Uh, and of course it didn't go, it didn't go well. So I could see Steve Bruce just doing the effort. We're going to just start everyone, but um, I would prefer if we, if we rotate, I don't think it will be rotated as heavily as Zach is insinuating because Steve Bruce does not do, Rafa would do that, but Steve Bruce is going to keep some of his main first teamers. I could see a four, four, two. I could see, Gail and like Joel Linton or Gail and Carol starting up top for sure, but maybe like Jacob Murphy out wide and maybe Joel Linton out wide or Miggy out wide. Someone who's a mainstay in the first team or at least in contention for the first team is going to be in that attack. And the midfield, I could see Jeff Hendrick and, and I don't think we'll see an Ellie Anderson appearance, but I think that midfield is going to be like a Jeff Hendrick Shelby type thing or a Jeff Hendrick, you know, still feels rotated, but it's still like, not as rotated as it could be. And I could honestly see him doing 
a Federico Fernandez, Kieran Clark center back pairing. I think he has fit center backs. He's going to play the fit center backs. That's just what, like, he's not going to purposely like play Emil Kraft because he can. I can see Emil Kraft and Javi Mankio playing as the way, as the right and left backs for sure. But I do think that that middle two is going to probably say the same or three depends on what we go with. Um, any players you guys kind of think Arsenal from their side, any players to watch out for? I'm, I'm sure the, the list is quite long, but if we could keep it to one or two each, that'd be peachy. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with Adam since we started with Zach before. So Adam. Uh, Lacazette for me, four goals in three games. He's on fire right now. Obama Yang's not doing the business, but Lacazette is, he didn't even start all three of those games. So in, in great form. And then my second player is Bukayo Saka scoring, creating for fun, um, young player, a lot of heart, the sort of player that Arsenal should be building a team around. Um, you know, that's, that's the sort of kind of person that you want leading the line for, for a team like Arsenal. They need the, to the young, have the young players come through, and he's one of the better ones that they have. Zach? Not sure if he will get the start, but uh, Kieran Tierney has been the man of the match for the last two matches uh, that Arsenal has played, a 3-1 victory against Chelsea and then a 4-0 romping of West Brom. Tierney really shining out there. So unsure, I think that uh, if my suspicions might be that Arteta will sit him in this match, uh, but besides him, uh, Saka was going to be the other one I mentioned. And then uh, I think we might see Eddie and Katia in the starting rotation for Arsenal. He's coming back to fitness. He had that uh, nice run of games in the lockdown period. So it's going to be a, a story of the young players, but I think Locke is at great shot as well. He, he seemingly is kind of coming to the end of his days, possibly at Arsenal, but is doing it in a, a quite impressive fashion. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys hit the nail on the head perfectly here. You gave me a couple players that maybe we aren't thinking about, and then a couple kind of guys were like, yeah, that's someone we need to watch out for. So love those. And finally, predictions. Uh, we'll go back to you, Zach. Your score prediction for this one. I agree, Elijah. I think that my heart and more so my mind says that C. Bruce needs to rotate the lineup but I also understand that he, this is a big test. Can he swallow his pride? I don't think he can. I think you're right on the nose by saying that he'll go after the FA Cup because of you know the allure of making a run at the FA Cup, even if it doesn't seem as though it is the best idea. I see us playing defensive. I see us losing this match two to one. Adam. I want to throw a little trivia at you guys here. Did a little research on history and form against Arsenal for Newcastle sure. last 15 competitive fixtures. What is Newcastle's record in their last 15 against Arsenal? Uh, it beats me. I'm going to have a quick That's guess like, at how many we've won or drawn and assume that most of them were losses in the last 15 competitive games. How many have oh. we won or drawn of those? Uh, eight. I bet we've, I bet we've won zero and drawn two or three, including the the famous 4-4. Four, four. The only games that I can remember truly are the 4-4 are the four, four and the 7-2 uh, where Theo Wolcott scored the hat trick. So the 4-4 four, four was prior to the last 15 games. Okay. We played a lot against Arsenal. We've won one game against Arsenal and we've lost 14 against Arsenal in our last 15 fixtures. Six of those games have been 1-0 losses. So I'm going with 1-0 Arsenal. 
don't know why yeah. I said eight. I just I just was like, let me think of a number. That's and optimistic, I just said eight. bro. Yeah, <laughs> Arsenal. Like, oh, we, we've got us. eight, and but I thought all of them were draws. But I mean, and also like the last fifteen is like essentially the last few seasons, and we just ha- yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, but yeah, one nil seems quite fair. I I think it's going to be, I think it'll be two nil. Uh, I think Bruce will rotate a little bit. Um, but like there, there's, there's just, I don't know. I don't know if the motivation is going to be there from the players. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. You're going against a, a solid side and you're starting to get your bearings back as a team, but ultimately what makes Newcastle dangerous in the cup or what makes Newcastle dangerous in general is just like having that Maverick of Allen St. Maxman. And so when he's not in the picture, it just makes it really tough for you to talk yourself into Newcastle grinding out a win in any regards, because you do need someone who's going to like force defenses to respect them in order to open up things for other people or just to do it by themselves. And so it's just tough to see an upset, especially in the FA cup, because he's not even an option off the bench. It'd be different if it's like Newcastle rotate and they somehow get it nil, nil or one, one, in the 60th minute and you're like, you know, we can go for this. Let's throw on Allen St. Maxman. We can't even do that. We, we can throw on Miguel Amron who will run around with a chick, like a chicken with his head cut off and maybe he'll score and maybe he won't score. So I don't know. I'm going to two nil um, real quick, just to close things out. My sister got me this wonderful book for Christmas, Newcastle United quiz book. And so I just think it'll be funny. There's 101 questions. We've, we record probably like 50 episodes a year. So I'm just going to go through this book. And so you guys get to have it first. I'm just going to go down the line. First question, whoever gets it first. <laughs> it's multiple choice. So, okay. um, but I don't know. The first question, I don't know if we'll need it, but uh, it says, when were Newcastle United founded? Do you need the- 1892. 1892. Damn all right nice all right well there we go that's one so we'll just do one each episode (laughs) and some of them some of them are really easy like the first 10 are stupidly easy but then like i opened the book to the middle of it it was like who scored in the 1942 i'm like what the (laughs) hell (laughs) who would know this in in zach's defense i was alive in 1892 and he was not so uh that's 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 good. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on record. I'm gonna say Titus Bramble as my guess until I get it right. Okay. All right. I don't think Titus Bramble makes an appearance in this book. He might. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but yeah. So that concludes this episode of CHN Radio. I think it's episode 160. I'm just go- we'll we'll find out when I edit this. Um, but yeah, this is Elijah Newsom. Uh, that was Adam, and that was Zach. Any parting words for the uh, CHN Radio faithful? Just one, Elijah. Footy! (laughs) See you next time, guys. Oh, Zach didn't do the piece he started to do. So that's that's unfortunate. Try it on for size, Zach. Yeah, just try it out. (laughs) He's making the piece up. Oh, my gosh. All right. This is over. All right. Love you guys. I was on the case side Looking at the old time bridge I'm coming home, you castle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of your own brown hill I'm coming home, you castle If you never win the club again I'll 
Yeah. 